So a bit about me for those who don't know. My name is Patrick Curry. I was uh, born in Mobile, Alabama, and I went to Charles Simpson's church for as long as I can remember. Um, and many of you have heard this story, but uh, there was a cassette tape recording where Charles said, let's congratulate Keith Curry on the birth of his first son. This was January 85. And since he's out with his family today, let's have Chris Hyatt come lead worship. And that was a long time ago. So Chris has known me my whole life. I don't remember him, but I know he had a very classy mustache. Uh, my, my wife, Melody, grew up as an Air Force brat of Air Force brats. She's lived in many exotic places like Montgomery, Alabama. Her family moved to San Antonio from Hawaii in the late 90s, and Thomas and Beth Hernandez connected them to the church where Chris and Donna were pastoring, and Jamie and Kathy were the youth pastors. And then we met at camp in 2001 in the middle room of Paul B. Johnson State Park in Mississippi. And it was love at first sight. We fasted and prayed hard for seven years in devout monastic Nazarite solitude. <laughs> Actually, it was nothing like that. Um, but it is a really cool story of how God brought us together to be married, which was in April of 2010 in San Antonio. And there we had our first two kids. Yeah, this is going to work. And uh, Jordan and Ad, and then um, we moved to Buford in 2015, and since then we've had two more, Marie and Jad. So we're really blessed, and we're really grateful. Um, you know, you never know what God's going to do with your life as you set out to follow him, and that's kind of the gist of what I want to talk about today. Um, one of the foundational building blocks of our marriage is God's presence and involvement with us in caring for other people. We've wanted God to use us. Sorry, I'm not going to get uh, I'm not going to get hung up today. <sighs> We've wanted God to use us and send us to people that need Him. Jesus said in John 10:27, "My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me." And Melody and I want this to be a pattern for our lives. We've committed to that, a regular rhythm that we walk in. And He speaks. We're known by Him. We follow him as he changes the people's lives around us. So we got married in faith. We took jobs in faith. We moved to Atlanta in faith. We had kids in faith. Still requires faith. You know that if you're a parent. I left full-time employment in 2018 in faith for our company. And then, oh, thanks, Emily. The weeping prophet. Um, so, and then in 2020, we launched, we launched a coffee shop in faith. That still takes a lot of faith. Thank you. Um, last year, I went back to full-time employment in faith. And all of these things and many more, there's still so many stories that God is, is doing and working in us. And it requires so much faith, but the pattern that I'd like to share with you today is something where he calls... I get to draw, isn't this cool? Um, so he calls out to us, and we seek him in response. This is the word of God. Then we hear him tell us something that he's interested in us doing or going, and that builds faith. So this is a door into this process. This faith journey that we're embarking on or that we embark on then matures and leads into obedience. 
And obedience brings us to this wonderful place where I'm going to spend a lot of time talking today. That's suffering. I know, I know, it's all right. I'm not going to make any jokes about talking about suffering, but, um, and then it culminates in joy. So this isn't meant to be a formula where I've figured out the kingdom of God. This is just a regular situation that Melody and I find ourselves in, um, and it keeps happening. Um, I finally started to pay attention to what's going on and what God's doing and wanting in us. And these are the things that I'm going to be sharing today. So you know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know that when he speaks, it's wild. Anything can happen. Nothing can come into being or exist or function without his voice. So I'm going to jump over to faith. Peter, when he was talking, spent time talking about the promises of God. And I kind of, if I was going to insert that somewhere, I would insert that right around there. But that's for him to say, not me. Um, so faith. Here we go. Faith is not taking leaps. It isn't blind irrationality or out of control silliness. Faith is built on the knowledge of God. It is firmly anchored and rooted in, experience him, in experiencing him and knowing him. Faith also isn't about the result. It isn't about what happens because of your faith. It's about living by a different narrative, knowing who God is, what he's saying about your situation, and having the willingness to act on that. We see the result and we think, wow, that's great faith. But that's just the outcome of great faith. Hebrews 11 lists many who had terrible earthly outcomes. And they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This is our lot too. We're not above it. Sometimes we won't see the promises fulfilled, but God is still faithful. The final faith point, without faith, it's impossible to please God because the word of God, which leads to hearing, which leads to faith, and faith leads to obedience, acting. So if our faith doesn't produce obedience, it's been nullified, neutralized, sterilized, and many people will happily come to church, sing songs, wear scripture shirts, and post lovely Christian messages about their faith, but it doesn't lead to obedience. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. This was said to Saul who got so impatient and chose not to obey but offer a beautiful sacrifice and try to win the Lord over with that. So sacrifice looks like kisses, hugs, affection, Kind words, plot it, saying the right things. Remember the parable of the son who said, yeah, I'm going to go do it. And he never did. And the one who said, I'm not going to, but he actually obeyed. That was the one that pleased the father. So anything you try to do or impress or please that's outside of obedience, God's not interested in those things. He's interested in your obedience to him for what he said to you. Jesus has already become the ultimate sacrifice. You can't add to that. He is the sacrifice. If your faith culminates in pleasant smelling sacrifices only, I would recommend you inspect that. For Melody and I, obedience meant moving to a new city, leaving regular paychecks, health insurance, taking huge risks that cost us again and again and again. 
we have not been exempt from his voice leading us to act. Peter did such a good job a couple weeks ago talking about faith leading to obedience and the promises of God wrapped up in all of that. And as he showed us, Abraham's an excellent example of hearing God's voice, being known by him, and following him. Abraham obeyed. So God said, go. Abraham went. God said, sacrifice your son. He took his son Isaac to be sacrificed. The relationship that he had with God resulted in his obedience. Oh, not yet. Hebrews 11.8, Abraham left not knowing where he was going. When God speaks and you begin to obey, this is often the case. We aren't sure what the outcome is. The same sacrificing his son. Abraham wasn't sure what the outcome was, but he believed that God was able to raise him from the dead and didn't waver in the willingness to sacrifice his own son. That serious obedience. He was heading up the mountain probably with every intention that this was going to happen because he had already thought God could raise him from the dead. So if you're worried about the outcome, you're probably not going to obey. The outcome belongs to him, not to us. Our job is to obey, not achieve. And we have to trust him that he knows where we're going and what the outcome is gonna be. There are many examples of obedience throughout scripture, including Moses, when he did obey and when he didn't obey, and that cost him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who trusted God with the outcome. They said, our God will save us. We're not going to bow down. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. That's obedience. They were willing to obey no matter what. So then what about Jesus and obedience? There's a lot. Luke 8, the disciples told Jesus his mother and brothers had come to get him. And his reply was, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let's be part of that family. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I do as the Father has commanded me so the world may know that I love the Father. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then Philippians, being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's obedience. And then finally in Hebrews 5.8, although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. We get a pretty clear picture that obedience was important to Jesus. If Jesus obeyed, we're to obey. And if he learned it through the things he suffered, well, that's for us too. Suffering and discipline is the next part of this illustration. I kind of used them... uh, interchangeably here. Um, Can you obey without suffering? Sure, I got you. (laughs) Is there obedience without pain? Yeah, I'm not trying to put God in a box, but many times as God leads, we obey. It takes us through a period of difficulty. And that's the thing that I'm talking about and referring to. So let's look at Hebrews 12. Suffering. Here we go. This is a bit long, so just bear with me. I wanted to read the whole scripture. It's about eight verses. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, 
nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons or children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So God's interest is in disciplining us to make us like him and his children. His voice guiding us through obedience brings us to this place. In following Jesus, Melody and I have found ourselves in painful, hard, confusing, frustrating, difficult, even humiliating situations. And you can have all those adjectives in your life without obeying Jesus. But I'm specifically talking about this particular process where he calls us, we respond, he speaks, faith sparks, we obey, and difficulty ensues. The valley of the shadow of death where his disciplining rod and staff comfort us. And I'm not trying to say that the things that we've gone through are so terrible. I know many other people experience much worse, but he's the same God and he's doing the same thing in all of us. Our premise has to be that discipline is good. It isn't punishment. It isn't because you've done the wrong thing. No, it's the opposite. It's because we're right where we're supposed to be. So how do we handle ourselves in these seasons? Our natural response or mind is to complain, resist, fight, question, and generally not comply. I would have been great company with the Israelites. I've learned a few things. Are you saying that about me, Jay? <laughs> I've learned a few things as God has been working in me. And so here are five discipline takeaways that I'd like to share. So number one, it's good and it's necessary. The purpose of faith to obedience to the suffering journey is to get you to this very point. It's in these painful moments that you're surrendered, malleable, open to being formed and shaped, changing your thoughts, your priorities, your desires, your plans and preferences. And Wade did a good job encouraging us towards this last week that change is important. But this is the moment where silver is heated up to its molten state. If the silver bails on the heating process, it won't make it to the melting point. It won't be usable for a new purpose. It isn't moldable. It isn't pure. And this melting point where pain and difficulty is beyond what you've imagined or thought what you could bear, it's designed by God in his goodness to carve out and cast away the impurities of your heart, the misdirections of your soul, in order to form his likeness deeper in you. Romans 8, 29, he made us to be conformed to the image of his son, and this conforming is hot, painful work. Jesus felt the challenge himself of suffering from obedience in John 12, 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this, but for this very purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So this is good. It's good, and it's necessary. 
The second point is to keep your eyes on Jesus, like Peter on the water. One temptation we have in suffering is to question. Big core life identity questions suddenly seem so important and so relevant. Who am I? What am I actually good at? Who was I meant to be? What did I want to be as a kid? What success have I actually achieved? Am I worth anything? While God is working deep within you, these questions feel good because they give us something to manipulate, something to hold on to, something to put the blame on. But it's not the time to reflect on those things. Don't get distracted. Another distraction is to walk through suffering with this underlying expectation that God wouldn't let anything bad or difficult happen to us. We think following Jesus means no pain, no trouble. We equate his goodness and good intent towards us as comfort and lack of problems. Unfortunately, that's just not true. He brings a, that, that mindset will bring about a significant amount of confusion when we find ourselves facing hard things in a hard season after we've obeyed him. We might end up rebu- rebuking his correction, thinking it's the enemy or sp- spiritual warfare. So I know that firsthand. These things are from our process and my heart. Another temptation is to quit. Quitting's great. Quit on yourself, on the endeavor, on the people around you, on your faith, hope, or patience. When you hit this point long enough, quitting seems like the most logical and sometimes the most heroic thing to do. Choosing quitting is very unfortunate. It hamstrings the entire process that God's doing in your heart. We try to make the difficult season about something other than God's sovereign love and purpose. We want to put ourselves in the middle of that. It's our poor decisions that got us here. We made the wrong decision and ended up here. It's my sinful past and I'm being punished for the things I did in the past, for not having faith, or it's our identity. The circumstance we're in provides many opportunities for change how we see ourselves in Jesus' kingdom, but not always in a good way if we're not keeping our eyes on Jesus. Uh, Maybe I'm not meant to be an accountant. This is the result of wrong life direction. Where I don't have what it takes to make it in this season, it's clear that I'm in way over my head. We missed God. Or we become a martyr where we're victims of God's crushing plan. Oh, poor us suffering for the kingdom. Does anybody care? Will this ever end? How could this happen to me? Look at us, the righteous ones. That was never Jesus' attitude or motivation. Another distraction is God, just give us a bit of relief. We don't deserve this. We obeyed you. We have a good friend who was laying on his desk in a difficult time and he was complaining and he said, oh God, I don't deserve this. His wife happened to be passing by at that moment. She stuck her head in the office and said, you're right, you don't, you deserve to go to hell. (laughs) And that's true for all of us. But thanks be to God that he sent Jesus to take our place. However we can, we wanna make ourselves the center of this process. It isn't about us. All of that is the enemy and our pride, robbing us of this beautiful, eternal invitation. Many times we can't see him or hear him in the process because we're mad at him for the trouble we've encountered or we're blaming ourselves and others for the situation we find ourselves in and our eyes fall from his face. Third point to think of in suffering. Jesus is our example. So what did he do and how did he respond? 
Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that's silent before its shearer, so he opened not his mouth. Not a word of protest. Absolute obedience. That's the goal. How are we doing at that? How's my attitude in the moment that God has me in? Am I writhing and resisting under the blade, or am I straining and gritting under the cross? Know that lamb-like silence is available to you. Jesus made this way of humble obedience and suffering available to all of us. Or there's Psalm 32 that says, Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. It's where you have to be forced into something because you're kicking against it. But just before that, it says, I'll instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I'll counsel you with my eye upon you. He's molding us and leading us and shaping us into the image of his son Jesus with his loving eye upon us. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would, lose, would save his life would lose it, but whoever has loses his life for my sake will find it. And if you're hearing this, that cross is waiting for you. You have a cross that he's calling you to. So I encourage you to deny yourselves, take up that cross and follow him today without complaining. And actually, Paul writes something even more offensive than don't complain. He actually says, rejoice. In Romans 5, I'm not going to read the whole passage. Through him we have obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Philippians 3. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He's disciplining us to make us like him and using pain to do it. People move at the speed of pain. We all want the empty tomb, but you don't get there except through the cross. Again, in Colossians 1, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So it's a continual exhortation to rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the suffering. And so the Lord rescues us from the kingdom of darkness, transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He makes us a new creation with a new heart. We ask him to make us more like him. And he gifts us this perfectly designed scenario to do just that. And when he does that, we plead with him to stop and take it away because we're missing the process of what he's doing in us. So how do we rejoice in suffering? It doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. It doesn't come accidentally. It comes intentionally. And while what I'm going to say isn't comprehensive by any means, um, here's a starting point. I don't know if I actually wrote this part down. I didn't. Okay. So gratitude. Gratitude is the right place to start. Psalm 104, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. In the most difficult, darkest moments, sometimes the only thing within reach is simple gratitude. 
Dallas Willard, when he was dying with pancreatic cancer, his final words were, thank you, thank you. And when you can't say anything else, start with thank you, even through tears. There's a significant amount of academic research on the power of simple gratitude. Imagine if it's connected and directed at your creator. It's powerful. Thank you. So gratitude opens the door. <laughs> Give thanks and praise his name for he is good. Gratitude will lead to praise, which will lead you to rejoicing. So one step at a time. So what can you be grateful for right now in your situation? Start there. And the final point here is do not grow weary in suffering. That one's hard too. Romans 8, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. There is a reward. Hebrews 12, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet. So that's what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Somebody could use that word today. Galatians 6, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And Kathy just gave this other one to me a couple weeks ago. Galatians 3, if you started in the spirit, don't finish in the flesh. And a lot of times we go through this process and he's brought us here and we start and then we try to manage it and take it over and finish it ourselves. So don't grow weary by walking with him in the spirit. And then also Romans 5, like I read before suffering produces endurance. So don't grow weary, don't stop following him. So here's the recap on those five points. Suffering, it's good and it's necessary. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is our example. Rejoice and don't grow weary. So now we have hearing to faith, to obedience, to suffering. Suffering leads to Let's find out. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Joy lies at the end of this process for us. Being with the Father in his presence, that awaits for us. After we go through a few more times, this gets heavier, it gets more intense, more costly. There's more on the line, but there's more reward, there's more joy, there's more intimacy, and there's more trust. So let's get back to my sketch real quick. The worship team is coming up, and that's great. This entire process is undergirded by abiding in him. Jesus said in John 15, if you keep my commandments, I'm almost there. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This process where bear fruit, 
and that fruit will remain. And at this point, he calls us friends. A lot changes as we go through this. Um, in October of last year, I went back to full-time employment, as I said. And on the outside, it was wonderful. It was a reputable company with good people, excellent compensation, generous benefits, not a bad commute, and a very respectable position. But on the inside, it was a disaster. It was hard. It wasn't what I wanted, or I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to me. It was beyond the capacity of my faith. And as I'd drive into work every day, I'd pray in the spirit. One day, God did something in my heart. And the Sunday before that, Donna had prayed that we would be set free from ourselves. And I felt at that point, as I echoed that prayer, something lift from me and some peace come. And so as I was driving in that day, the Lord showed me that the act of obeying can be a source of joy. I get to obey. I'm with him, I'm a child of God, invited to obey. If I'm obeying, I've got nothing to worry about. Whatever comes our way is intended for our good. I don't have to have the answers for all of life's questions. I don't have to and actually cannot carry all of life's burdens, anxiety, and trouble. My job, my one focus is following Jesus, that's it. The rest will take care of itself. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all this will be added to you. So while it was still hard, this changed my heart and my focus. The outcome didn't matter. The process didn't matter. The pain didn't matter. I was following him, and there's joy in that. I've got another recent invitation to practice this again. Um, I tore my Achilles last week playing soccer. On top of all the other things that we're already facing, but God's blessed me with this opportunity. And what am I supposed to say? God saved me from this, but maybe for this hour, he's brought me to this moment. So the other part that I've found is that you don't have to wait till the end. Amen. There's joy throughout. I know you don't see it on my face, but trust me. Now, this has been focused a lot on us, on the people side, on the human side. And unfortunately, that's also a bit misleading. As I said, our tendency is to make ourselves the center of everything that we can. But the most important piece of this whole process is this. Jesus is worthy. He's worth our lives, our obedience, our pain. He's worthy of our faith, our seeking, whatever he wants from us. He is worthy.